We sang tonight, Praise the Lord, I am His child. It's wonderful for us to be together tonight and to lift up the name of God and to, to praise Him. I appreciate the presence of, of everyone. And I want to say once again just how blessed I have been to be here. I appreciate so much the opportunity to be a part of this special weekend. I appreciate the foresight by the elders. Uh, and the vision that they have to encourage the young people uh, and to encourage everyone. To, it's, it's an encouraging weekend for a congregation to see young people uh, energized and uh, having a desire to serve the Lord. So I just appreciate what you do here at Oak Mountain. I appreciate uh, the gospel that is spread, that is taught here from this location and the good that you do here in this city. I appreciate it so much. It's just been so good to be with you. It's been good to be with my, bro- uh, my brother Kevin. I've known Kevin for some time now, and it's good to be able to spend some time with him and be with him. And I just appreciate y'all so very much. We've talked a lot about our young people and and to our young people. But tonight, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to us parents. If you would, turn your Bible to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2 is where I want to begin reading tonight in Judges chapter 2. It is important for us... As you know, and as I know this congregation knows, it's evident of how important it is for us to make sure that we are teaching our children. That as Paul says, that we're bringing our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I believe that when we look in the book of Judges, we can learn some very important principles about this very topic. Judges chapter 2. When you think about the book of Judges, it's set specifically when the children of Israel have conquered the land of Canaan, for the most part under the leadership of Joshua. They're finally settling into the land, the land that flows with milk and honey, a land that was promised to Abraham hundreds of years before they've waited to arrive. And now they they have arrived. They've made it. Joshua passes away. And so now we're left wondering what happens next to the children of Israel. Well, Judges tells us the story about the people of God and how they start this cycle in the land that they dreamed of. Judges chapter 2, verse, uh, when you start in verse 6, I'll skip down to verse 10, but it, it tells us a little bit about the passing of Joshua and his death. He died at the age of 110 years old. They buried him. And in verse 10, it says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers... And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress." Then, verse 16 says, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. 
Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. This chapter, chapter 2, this summary here, it really begins the book of Judges, but it's also a really great summary of what takes place in this entire book, that the people of God fall into this cycle. After realizing their dream of inheriting the promised land, well, the children of Israel grow complacent and they fall into idolatry. And it's mentioned here a particular type of idolatry. It's the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth. That's the two primary gods of this land. Uh, Baal being the masculine god and Ashtaroth being the feminine god. And these were gods of, of sensuality. Typically, this worship involves sexual immorality and temple prostitution, but not just that. It would even include, sadly, sacrifices of children. And when you hear that, and you think about the children of Israel, the, the children of Jehovah falling into this type of idolatry. Isn't it shocking? And you have to ask yourself the question, how? How did they find themselves in this situation? We well, you know it's easy to gravitate to other gods when they offer the opportunity to satisfy whatever sinful desire you might have. And it's easy to think that when we get some divine endorsement of our fleshly desires, that that's the God that we need to worship. Well, as a result of this, that takes place in the book of Judges, did you notice that God removed His hand from them? He allowed them to be overrun by other nations that raided them. Why? Why would God allow that? Well, I think God was allowing the children of Israel to see whether or not these false gods of Baal and Ashtaroth, would they show up and deliver them? God has proved himself time and time again in the history of the children of Israel that he would deliver them, that he would save them, and he would perform some incredible miracles to make sure that that took place. But yet when the children of Israel go after these false idols... They're left wondering, can these idols deliver as God has delivered? And when they find themselves in terrible distress, it's as if God is saying, why don't you cry out to these gods and see whether or not they'll come to your rescue? And God just goes silent and he allows them to fully embrace their idolatry. But every time Israel gets overrun, they realize these gods of Canaan are not going to come to their rescue. They begin to cry out to other gods or they begin to cry out to God. They begin to cry out to the God of their ancestors. They begin to cry out to the God who delivered their ancestors from Egyptian bondage. And God would pity them. He would be moved with pity. In fact, I won't turn there, but Judges chapter 10 at verse 16 mentions how God understood their misery. And because of that, God would send them a judge or he would send them a deliverer. Now, when we hear judge, we think about somebody who sits behind a bench and issues some judgment. But the type of judge we're talking about, of course, is not that they sent people to prison, but they actually released people from prison. They released them from bondage. 
And all throughout the book of Judges, God raises up, seems spontaneously, these judges because of Israel's oppression of their enemies. There's no succession here. There's no dynasty family. It's usually just the Israelites were free from oppression just as long as this judge lived that God would raise up. He or she, remember Deborah, would deliver God's people... And the Israelites would go back to walking with God as long as that judge was alive. But as soon as that judge died, well, the people fell back into idolatry. And did you notice at the end of that summary in chapter 2, they became more and more corrupt each time. It's amazing. During this cycle that they cry out to God, God delivers them, the judge is alive. You think about Othniel right in the very beginning. This first judge, they fall under the hands of the Mesopotamians. God raises up Othniel and he delivers them. And then you go through Ehud and Shamgar and that cycle just repeats itself over and over and over again. But they grow worse and worse and they fall deeper and deeper into idolatry each time. And I don't want you to miss that point. And think about it. After they enter Canaan, after they enter the promised land, they spend some hundred, uh, hundred years in oppression. And I think we're, we're left asking the question, why? W- what can we learn? Well, the book of Judges has some incredibly powerful lessons for us. But I, I want us to think about, do you know what it's like to be in this type of cycle? This cycle where you're serving God, but then you you fall into some sin and you're living in bondage and you realize that that's not the way to live, that it brings about pain and difficulty in your life. You cry out to God and God forgives you and you walk with God for a while and you're you're doing good in your walk with the Lord, but then you fall into some sin. And, And you know what this cycle is like, right? Sin and oppression and deliverance. And you know exactly what that is, that God always shows up and delivers us. But one of the things that we need to consider when we find ourselves in a situation like the children of Israel in this cycle of sin, we need to stop and ask ourselves, what commandment of God have I disobeyed? You see, it was no coincidence that the children of Israel would find themselves in terrible distress. The reason why they were suffering is because they chose to leave the commandments of God undone. They simply chose to disobey. Do you remember? One of the things that God tells the Israelites is that when they go into the promised land, and you can read this in Numbers 33 and all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 20, what was the command? They were to drive out the Canaanites. They were to utterly destroy the Canaanites when they went into the promised land. And Joshua in Judges has this detailed record of how the children of Israel, how the the different tribes of the Canaanites were not driven out by the children of Israel. Instead, the children of Israel take these tribes and these people that remained and just put them in forced labor. They basically made, made them slaves. And so instead of obeying God's commands, they used their own wisdom and decided, well, this will help us maybe go ahead and make our nation a little bit stronger. And this will help us uh, just be a shortcut to establishing our nation. And so we'll keep them around and we'll use them as slaves. But listen, God's concern was not for them to establish some great physical nation where they would have these great borders. What What God's concern was is that the Canaanites 
would influence the children of Israel for evil. That the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth and the false gods of Canaan would not be completely removed. And that's exactly what happened. Because they were not completely driven out, the pagans influenced the children of Israel. In this shortcut, this leaving a command of God undone proved to be a huge setback, really an undoing. They're unraveling, you could say. And don't you agree that that's the case? Anytime we leave the commandments of God undone, that we can be like the children of Israel. We can fall into this cycle. And the reason why we fall into this cycle is because we have chosen to disobey God. We can connect the dots. If you are in a cycle right now and you are oppressed, you've turned away from God. Consider what commandment have I left undone? What command am I disobeying? What area of my life am I refusing to give up to God? Because that's why you find yourself in such terrible duress. You know, I tell our our young people a lot at Vestavia. It's a simple principle. If you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. It's really that simple. If you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. When you choose to disobey God, you are choosing suffering. And that was the problem for Israel. They chose to sin, they chose to disobey, and they suffered because of it. But the root of the problem is leaving the instruction of God undone. Well, if you would, look back in Judges chapter 2 at verse 10 and notice this, notice this phrase. I, here, here's the commandment. Here's, I, I've said all of that to get to this point. Because there's something about passing on the baton of faith to the next generation that I want to talk about. And I think there's a principle that we need to talk about, about making sure that we're not disobeying the commands of God. We're not leaving a command undone. Judges chapter 2 at verse 10. All that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation that did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. I mean, you think about it, the children of Israel under the leadership of Moses, under the, uh, then under, well, under the leadership of Joshua in particular here. Joshua as their leader, they experienced some mighty power. They saw the work of God. They saw the Jordan River dry up at flood stage, flood stage when they were able to pass. They saw the power of God when the walls of Jericho fell flat when they obeyed God's commands. They saw God fight against the five kings of the Amorites, destroying them with these large hailstones. They saw the power of God when the sun stood still. They saw the enemies of God subdued. They were in a generation that experienced the mighty power of God. But that generation passed away. And there arose a generation that did not know what the Lord had done. You see, in the book of Judges, there seems to be this lack of passing the baton from one generation to the next. Maybe you've seen in the Olympics, the relay race. And you know how important that pass is in the relay race. That the runner makes sure that they have a good pass and they pass that baton on to the next runner. And if you fumble that, you lose the race. Well, the children of Israel fumbled passing the baton. Because every generation now is relearning the lessons of the previous generation. That's why they continue to fall into this cycle. 
What you see with the children of Israel is that there's no spiritual progress that is being made. The Israelites are not growing spiritually. If God didn't repeatedly send the judges, they would have imploded. But each judge is really a result of a pattern where the spiritual baton is dropped. And so every generation is experiencing, and they're coming to know God as a deliverer, but they don't quite understand the fact that He is a treasured king. You remember what Moses said to them? Let me show you. Uh, Let's do Deuteronomy chapter 6. We could read Deuteronomy 6 or Deuteronomy 11, but let's read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you remember what Moses said, what Moses commanded? What Moses commanded from God in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right before they go into the promised land. You remember this, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be care- uh, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. I mean, think about this is an instruction to the children of Israel that when you go into the promised land, here's a command. You teach your children. You find every opportunity that you have to tell them about me. To remind them who it is that they are to serve. You put the law in front of them. But then when you read the book of Judges, it appears as if this is a command that they disobeyed. It's a command that they just completely ignored. Children growing up not knowing who God is. Children growing up not knowing the power of the God of Israel. And listen, parents, this is really for us. This is for us tonight. Or it could be that you're a grandparent here. And it could be as a grandparent that that you've taken on the responsibility of raising a a grandchild. But parents and and grandparents have great influence over your children and grandchildren. And I want to talk to us. And I think you would agree. It's it's evident that you believe that your, your children here at Oak Mountain are worthy of being taught the gospel, of worthy of your time. I mean, think about it. You spend a lot of time with your children here, right? Uh, this morning in, in Bible study, there's a 50-minute class back there with the children. Wednesday night, right, the children go in the back. I believe there's a vacation Bible school here at Oak Mountain every year. This is the first year you've done something for the teens. It's evident that you understand the importance of teaching the children here at Oak Mountain how important it is to know God and to serve God. And it could be perhaps that you have devotionals and Bible studies within your homes as, as parents do that. And those are great Bible learning times. And I'm sure Oak Mountain, I, I have no doubt that you guys have great Bible class teachers that spend an incredible amount of time and energy and resources making sure that those children are in an environment to learn. What a blessing, what an advantage that these children have. However, parents, and I'm speaking to myself here, what is done here at this building twice a week is not meant to be a substitute for the teaching that is to take place 
in the home. What is done here should be a supplement to to what is being taught in the home on a daily basis. You see, what is being taught here should just simply be a reinforcement of all the spiritual truths that your children are learning at home. And so whether you're sending your your baby off to, to college or maybe you're potty training, you can start today. You can start today. And the earlier we start the process, certainly the better. And so I want to just give some suggestions tonight on how we can pass on the baton of faith. First of all, passing on the baton of faith involves being committed ourselves. Being committed ourselves. And I know we can quickly say, listen, parents, we need to be great examples to our children. And I believe that. That is true. Children are watching us, but it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not really, oh, don't, don't say that around the kids. Just wait, wait till they go out of the room. Or, hey, hey, turn that show off until the kids get out of here. Wait a minute. Children have a way of learning. Children have a way of discerning what is in the heart of their parents. We read Deuteronomy chapter 6, that the word shall be on your heart. Parents, little ears are listening. Little eyes are watching. And children can spot holiness and children can spot hypocrisy. You think about Jesus. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus could spot hypocrisy. He was up close and personal with hypocrisy. And hypocrisy was was one thing that just made Jesus sick. And he had some harsh words to say to the hypocrites of his day. And you think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees can act spiritual, claim a relationship with God, but it can all be a facade. They said all the right things, but they didn't practice what they preached. Notice what Jesus says in verse 3 of Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 3. Jesus says, So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach... But do not practice. Listen, if you keep reading through this chapter, Jesus is not easy on these Pharisees. Those that are professing holiness, but they are hypocrites. In fact, look in verse 27. Just down in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he says. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Do we have whitewashed tombs in our generation as well? Families who appear to be holy, but on the inside are really hollow. You ever gotten a piece of chocolate, maybe one of those chocolate bunnies, and it looks like a really solid piece of chocolate until you take a bite of it. And then you realize it's just a a hollow piece of chocolate. That there's really nothing of substance on the inside. It's an empty shell. What about if our faith is like that? Hollow, a pretense. If if our faith is that way, do we really have the right to expect our children to respect and want to follow the faith that we claim to have? Listen, if we want to pass on our faith to our children, our faith must be authentic. If we want to pass on our faith to our children, a love for God, we first must love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our strength. 
If we want our children to love God, we've got to be completely sold out to God ourselves. We've got to be consistent in our lives. Parents, if we talk to our children about how they need to respect us as parents, well, they need to see us respecting their grandparents. Or parents who talk to their children about the need to be honest, we need to make sure that we're being honest. We need to make sure that we're not changing some numbers up. Or parents who, who set rules on TV shows and say, no filth in this house. We've got to be careful about what we watch. I'm going to say, kids aren't looking for perfection. But they have a right to expect you to be real in your commitment to God. Jesus put it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see, the real challenge for us as parents is to live out our commitment to Christ in our own lives. And just think about it. Our children will be much more apt to love the Lord if we do. It's that simple. Our children want to follow someone who is genuine and who is sincere. So we must first be committed to the Lord ourselves. Second of all, to go along with that, Passing the baton of faith involves being open and honest about our sin. Now, if, if you're like me, I, while I'm preaching, I'm terribly uncomfortable because I am completely aware of all of the times already. My oldest is just eight, and I can't count the times that I have failed as a parent. The, the times that I have not done things as I should have done. I am painfully aware of the times that I've not given my best to God. And it's times like that where we struggle. And maybe at times our, our faith can flounder. But every parent, listen, every parent will fail their child at some point. We don't have to be perfect, but we do have to make sure that we are striving to move in the right direction. And we have to be open. We have to be real. We have to be honest with our children. We have to confess our sin, confess our weaknesses to God and ask for forgiveness. I think it's important for us to let our children know that mom and dad need Jesus just as much as you do. A child will see your faith. And when you're able to say to them, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That'll make a big impact with them. Don't you learn from parenting just how much work we really need in our own lives? I tell you, when I see the shortcomings in, in, in my children... Uh, I, I am painfully aware of, I, I think I might know where they got that from. <laughs> but don't let that cause you to drop the baton. God uses some of the most unqualified people to deliver His people. Those who are of the wrong class, the wrong gender, even struggle with sin themselves. Look at the judges. So let your children know about your weaknesses. Let them know that mom and dad aren't perfect, but they're striving to please the Lord. But the next passing on the baton of faith involves saturating our children with the word of God. Psalm 119 at verse 111 says, I have, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 at verse 11. Your word I have hidden in your heart that I might not sin against you. Think about that for our children. When our children are little, how important it is for them, for their little minds to be filled with the word of God. It, I tell you, it's amazing. Aren't you amazed at how children can memorize scripture? I mean, they can pick up that memory verse and they can quote it and they'll know it. And it's amazing to me 
just how much sponges they are and how much they take in and how much they, they retain. And as parents, we might, we might have a couple of excuses that we'll use for not saturating our children with the Word of God. We might say, well, I just don't know enough about the Bible. And it's tempting to think, well, I'm no Bible class teacher, and, and I know our Bible class teachers are great, and they can teach better th- than I can. Listen, if you open up your Bible to the very first page, it does not say for professional use only. <laughs> doesn't say that. It's for you. It's for me. You can read it. You can know it. You can understand it. You can obey it. You can model it. You might say, but I don't have enough time. Now think about, think about what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If we use the excuse, but I don't have enough time, did you notice what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6? He says in verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. This is just simply saying, listen, as parents, we need to look for opportunities to teach our children the Word of God. And I'll tell you, when you really look at your day, there is enough time in every day for us to saturate our children with the Word of God. I mean, you think about it. I know how it is in our house and school's about to start and there's going to be a different routine that's coming along. But there's, there's, morning, there's morning time. There's drive time to and from school. There's, there's meal time. There's bedtime. There is time if you will just sit and, listen, and look and look at your schedule to say, here's time that we have as a family to talk about the things of God, to teach our children the principles about God and how these principles apply in various situations. You can teach your children the Word of God and show them how it changes their lives. You can teach your children, maybe you have an outgoing uh, a child, and you can teach them about how Jesus would, would bring in the outcast, and as we talked about this morning, would love the outcast, and you can tell them that they can do that as well. Or when your child feels as if he is back up against the wall, you can remind him about the courage of Joshua. Or when your child doesn't understand why they should listen to you, well... Show them how Joshua led the Israelites and and obeyed that seemingly foolish command to march around a wall for seven days. Maybe when your child is hurt and they're mad at a a brother or sister or a friend, you can remind them and show them how Jesus was willing to forgive His enemies. You see, what we should do is seek to apply God's Word and sow seeds in our children's minds so that they will develop deep roots in the Word of God to where they can take the Word of God and make connections to their daily life. They'll come to see that the Bible is not some irrelevant book, but it is a book that teaches the best way to live. And you think about it, we're trying to get the Word of God from their heads to their hearts to their minds. Not just so that they'll be able to recite Scripture. Not just so that they'll be able to tell you the story about the great leader Joshua. We want our young boys to grow up and be a Joshua. And it's not just that we want our young girls to know the story of Queen Esther. We want our young girls to grow up and to serve and to step up and be like Queen Esther even when it's difficult. I want to encourage all of us who have children in our home. To use these times during the day. Don't think. Don't think that just a few hours in Bible class is going to be enough. When as we've talked about this weekend, when Satan is relentless 24-7. Two hours isn't going to be enough. We must saturate our children 
with the Word of God. But then finally, to pass on the baton of faith, it involves praying for and with our children. Think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul says, pray without ceasing. And the, and the idea behind praying without ceasing is living with this mindset, this awareness that God's ear is always open to our prayers. That God never falls asleep. He never goes on a break. And so praying for our children should be an important priority in our lives. Let's not wait to pray for our children before they're about to fall off a cliff. Let's not use it as, as, a, as an escape patch. But let's use it now and make it a priority in our lives. And when we pray without ceasing, it is really a humble admission that I can't do it alone. And when we pray for our children, our children will see that mom and dad are submitting to the will of God as well. That they answer to the King Jesus. When we pray for help at raising our children, we are inviting, we are invoking, and asking for divine direction. Jesus would tell his disciples that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Let me say there might be someone here tonight who has a child who is older and maybe they've rebelled against God and they've given up on the Lord. I want to encourage you tonight, don't give up. Don't you stop praying for your child. Don't give up. You keep praying for them. And it's important for us as parents now to pray for our children that their hearts will be guarded, that their spiritual lives will be pure, that their, spiritual, uh, their physical lives will be pure, that we'll pray that they will choose positive, godly influences in life. We pray that they will accept and listen and heed godly advice. We pray that they will come to know the Lord and that they too will obey the gospel. We pray that they one day will choose a spouse that will not hinder their walk with the Lord, but will help their walk with the Lord. Let's begin that prayer now. Let's begin that prayer now. Pray with them, not just at mealtime. Maybe before they, they go to bed at night. I, I'm not knocking praying at mealtime. That's important to do. But what about praying with them at a certain time, whether it be on the way to school or whether it be at bed at night during the bedtime routine? I think, it, I think it's important for our children to hear us pray for them. For our children to hear us pray to God while they're sitting there that our desire is for us to raise them to obey the gospel, to know the Lord. And they'll know what mom and dad is after. They'll know the objective of mom and dad when mom and dad lays down a rule or tells them, here's what we're going to do as a family. Here's the rule in this house. They'll know that it comes from your desire to have that prayer answered, that they will obey the gospel. It's important that we allow them to pray as well. Teach them to pray. That's oh, amazing it, it, to, to hear the little ones pray. To hear the little ones pray and to hear what is, what is in their prayers. And I know every parent has a great story about their, about their children and, and about them, them praying. Uh, I could tell you several, but just know, you know what that's like. Of just the, the amazing things that they will pray and you think, where did they get that at? How did they know to pray for that at that time? They pray some beautiful, sometimes long prayers. I don't know if that's to delay bedtime, but they pray some beautiful prayers. 
And you think about as, a, as, a, as our little girls and your little boys, thank you for mommy and daddy. Or dear God, help me, help me at school tomorrow on the first day of school. And then those, those prayers change and they mature as our children get older. Lord, help me to find a spouse who will lead me closer to you. To God, thank you for, for parents who taught me to know you and to love you. Help me to teach my children to do the same. And they pray to God, help my mom and my dad and their health struggles. Or when mom and dad are, are, are about to pass or have passed from this, thank you for the hope that my parents gave me. Help me to keep the good cycle of faith in our family. You get the idea. The time to pass the baton is now. Because soon, parents, you know what this is like. Soon you're going to be sending off your, your first to kindergarten. Or soon you might, you might be dropping them off to college. Soon you'll be giving them away in marriage. Soon you'll watch them become parents. And isn't our prayer... I hope they got it. I hope they listened. I pray that she stays committed to Christ. I pray that when he goes off to college, that he won't believe what the the professor has to say about the Bible and that the Bible is better than any book that they'll ever be required to read in class. I pray they got it. I pray they'll raise their children in the Lord. Let's raise a generation that knows the love and the power of God. It could be tonight that it's time to break a cycle. It could be tonight that it's time to break a cycle in your life and maybe in your home. And it's time for you to put your post down right here, right now. And you can say, I'm going to serve the Lord from here on out. Joshua would say in Joshua 24 verse 15, Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'll tell you dads, it's time for us to step up. It's time for us to take the lead and to make that proclamation in our home that we're going to serve the Lord no matter what. And so it could be tonight that that parents, we need to step up and we need to take the command to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord seriously. We need to get busy with that. We need to make sure that we're not leaving that command undone, that we've not disobeyed and forgotten about that command, but that we fulfill that command in all that we could do. Strong families make strong churches. And it's in the home where our children learn about the Lord. Let's make that a priority. If you're here tonight you need to become a Christian, Jesus would say, He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus has done His part. He's offered up His body on the cross where His blood was shed so that we can have the forgiveness of our sins. What is required is your response a response of faith that you're willing to give up your life of sin. You're willing to confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you are willing to be baptized, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that His blood will wash away your sins. If we can help you do that tonight, why don't you come while we stand and sing?